Hey man, do you know where the potion of cure headache is? Yeah, it's on the shelf of holding. Yeah, I already looked there. Which one? In the repository of excrement. No, 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 no. It's in the galley of cooking. What? Yeah, second shelf of holding by the electronic box of radiating next to the salt of salting. Why would you put it there? Because that's where it goes. No, 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 no. All curative consumables go in the repository of excrement. But you ingest those. And your point is... The repository of excrement is rife with excrement particles. At least 15 foot radius, ignoring even full cover. If you consume those, you're consuming poop. Oh, jeez, you're right. You're welcome. Wait, 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 wait. What about our bristles of dental cleansing? Oh, gaunt. Okay, I'll burn them and then we can just buy new ones and then just keep those in the galley of cooking. That's a good call. Would, hey, uh, would you mind getting some rope while you're out? Why? Because I'm still in your pit trap from last week. Oh, yeah, right. Can you uh, handle the theme song from down there? Sure, I found a pile of zooms. Garen, you ready? It's about to drop. Do it. Dungeons and Dragons. Dan here. I started out in 5e. And me? I was sitting behind the DM screen. Yeah, that was three short years ago. I built a dragonborn fighter with no gusto. Fast forward a year. We're buying supplements and copping brand new gear. Incessantly making characters for one another. The only one who cared, of course, was our brother. Building new characters, score them all day. Each and every week, a brand new baby. How's their melee? How's their range? How's their magic? How controlling? How deranged? That's not a category. Just keep going. Uh, I think we were here? Grab a comfy chair and a glass of mead. Another fresh episode in your feed. Other podcasts can be kind of drab. This ain't one, it's the Character Lab. And welcome to the D&D Character Lab, the show based around the one thing we as players cannot resist. And that is compulsively creating characters and daydreaming about their validity in-game. Each week, we are bringing a new character to the table, drawing from a plethora of published content, and scoring against a predefined table of criteria. It is then up to us to use our own personal charisma modifiers to convince the other that our baby is better. Hey guys, it's Garen. And I'm Dan, and this week, we are treated to another great work from one of our previous Labby Award winners. His name? Mika Watt. That's right, Mika contributed to Face of the Forgotten Realms, and now he's back with... Undermountain, The Lost Lore. This character-driven supplement is meant to be paired with Dungeons of the Mad Mage, the adventure by wizards, and of course there is so much that can be plugged into any campaign for that matter. But there are some features that only fit into that specific adventure, so if you want to get the most out of the subclass, get in that campaign with these subclasses from this book. Yeah, and specific subclasses are something that you don't see that often because they're so circumstantial. But, I mean, it is really something that when they shine, it's really it's really kind of incredible. And arguably, this is what Wizards has done with the Ranger, which kind of creates our love-mostly-hate relationship with that class. Very, very specific. A lot of different instances where it is very tuned into a specific setting or campaign, but when it works, it works really well. You know what, Dan? I am playing a ranger in our Discord game that uh, Ben Potts is DMing, and I'm actually having a pretty good time because the DM is giving things for my character to do. We're in the woods currently at the moment, and my character's favorite terrain is forest. So when your DM works with you, that works great. Like the Inquisitor Rogue. If you have mysteries to solve, your Inquisitor Rogue is going to get to do some stuff. Fair point. And also, if you guys want to get in on a game, 
head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash D&D Character Lab. We've got actual D&D play-by-post games going on in our Discord. Now, without further ado, let's meet these dungeon crawlers. Garen, why don't you go ahead and introduce us to your character this week? The tribe of the Dawn lived deep in the jungles of Cholt, occasionally trading with travelers but mostly keeping to themselves as their appearance was disconcerting to those who weren't aware of their unique origin. Once a pack of normal velociraptors, the beasts were blessed by the trickster god Moa when she gave them intelligence and tasked them with guarding one of her temples. Coming to the light of intelligence was a new dawn for the creatures and became their moniker on the spot. One day a group of trappers employed under the merchant prince Ifan Taroa were traveling through the jungles in search of new stock for his beast trade, and they found the tribe. They suffered casualties at the claws of the Dawn Raptors. But managed to escape with a few of their young. Ifan loved the new product and quickly made deals all over the continent to sell them off. The son of the Dawn tribe's shaman was sent to Waterdeep as a curiosity and a piece of entertainment to be kept in Skullport. The young Velociraptor Malvo served as a freak to the slaves and slave drivers of Skullport, sometimes entertaining slavers that came to check the stock, but he secretly developed the gifts passed down to him from his mother. The power of the Dawn Tribe came from the earth itself, as deep in the jungle where colonization was minimal, the strength of the ground was more potent and undisturbed. One day when he felt strong enough, Malvo changed his form into that of a rat and slipped his bonds escaping into the tunnels beneath the city where he hoped to disappear. Underground, Malvo felt a cleaner connection to the earth than ever before and decided to make it his home, adapting to the dark and finding meaning amongst the jagged stone. So I bring to you level 14 druid Circle of the Rock Singer, Malvo Dawnstar, which is the name given to us by one of our patrons, Evan Kennedy. He is of the escaped slave background, which comes out of the Undermountain book. And he is a Velociraptor, which comes from Monstrous Races 2 by Tyler Kamstra. So jealous. You made a raptor. I always wanted to play a raptor in this game. It was right there under your nose, Dan. Tyler did it. You beat me to the punch. All right, all right. Let me introduce you this week to my character... Minces Wobbletop. Minces? That's right. Minces Wobbletop comes from a long line of Imago Gnome apprentices of Hallister and Trobriand, powerful wizards of Undermountain with undeniable influence and following. They, of course, are best known for their powerful magic and fascination with metal constructs. However, even Trobriand and Hallister were uncertain of the extents of their own power, so they entrusted the Imago Gnomes of Skullport with powerful magnetic magic so that they could counteract the constructs when they began to display a bit too much of a mind of their own. Minces has been at it so long, in fact, that he's become a personal protector of Trobriand and stands guard most nights outside of his sleeping quarters to ensure that he's safe from any rogue constructs that wander the halls of the immense compound day and night. In exchange for his numerous years of devout service to the Mad Mage, Minces has been gifted powerful and unique magic that reacts strongly with iron and steel that other Imago Guardsmen do not possess. With the ability to reduce a misbehaving robot to a mere pile of dust, rust, and nuts and bolts by uttering just a few words, not even the other guards of Trobriand dare to say a word in contradiction of Minces. 
Though he may be short in stature, he is one big presence in Undermountain. Minsis is a level 14 metal mage wizard, Imago Chaos Gnome subrace out of Volo's complete subrace handbook by Clan Crafter Heralding. It is pay what you want on DMs Guild. I feature it frequently on this show. Cannot say enough good things about it. And he possesses the Reclaimer of Lantern background out of Backgrounds of Faerun, written by Brian Holmes. Very nice. I like this bodyguard patrol watchman you got going on here for a wizard. Not exactly the type you normally see. I'm familiar with Hollister, the very powerful wizard. It's a shame that he is overshadowed by his rival wizards, Albuquerque and Funch. Yeah, I know. They all smell wonderful, though. They do. You can smell them from a mile away. So, Dan, another solid backstory this week. Nice work on that. Oh, thanks. What? What are you, you Just s- waiting for the setup. What setup? What are you talking about? Well, I know you're going to do some stupid candle joke, so just get it over with. Whoa! Jeez, man, you got a short fuse. Good thing these candles don't. This episode is brought to you by Cantrip Candles, the purveyors of 100% soy candles that are specifically designed to accompany your tabletop adventures like D&D and Pathfinder. They have a great selection of scents that smell like different locations in a fantasy world. And U.S. customers can even order unique boxes of matches that are decorated to look like conjuration or love spells or more. Our spotlight this week is, of course, Dungeon Depths. With its notes of dust, stone, and water, you'll be ready to shut out the sun for weeks in the Undermountain. But to be honest, you can find a scent for any of your adventures in their sampler pack, which offer nine of their scents for a great low price. Once you decide you want to buy every one of them, we are happy to announce you now can, and the lab will help cover some of the cost. When you use the code LABRAT, L-A-B-R-A-T, at checkout, you receive 10% off your total purchase. So check them out. That's Cantrip Candles. And if you don't know how to spell Cantrip, well, you know the rest. Well, thank you, Garen and Cantrip Candles, for that message. Now, if you're just joining us this week, let me explain the show's format We have nine categories that we've prepared arguments for in each. We will state our character deserves between a minus two and a plus two. Plus two is spelunking like a boss, and minus two is ending up like the guy from 128 hours. (laughs) Finally, once per show, each of us will be able to force the other player to roll for the score in which they're arguing for as a charisma saving throw using the charisma score of the character in which we're arguing on behalf of And then, at the end, whoever has the most points wins. It's like golf, right? That's a lot like golf. Now, it's time for the nitty-gritty with the melee category, and let me start it off. I'm arguing a minus one. I don't want to get this over with. Got a dagger with a plus seven to hit, 1d4 plus two piercing damage. I don't want to elaborate. There's not a lot going on in melee. I got a wizard. I don't care. I don't think we want to hear you elaborate. That's a pretty boring category. Good for you. So what do you got in melee? Well, I've got a plus nine to hit with my scimitar, which is a 1d6 plus 4. I also have a natural weapon attack as a Velociraptor, which is a bite, which does a 1d6. I also have pack tactics as a Velociraptor. If I'm within 5 feet of an ally, I can use a bonus action to grant myself advantage on my melee attack. And I got a couple of new shapes here. I am a druid. I can wild shape into CR1 creatures. And one of those ones is an albino death weasel, which I took out of Creature Codex. I got a pounce attack there, which I move 20 feet. They got to succeed on a strength save or be knocked prone. I also have my claw attack, where it only does 1d4 plus 3, but the target becomes grappled if they're medium or smaller. So I got a couple of really nice features here. I'm arguing a plus 1 with all that. Well, I think that you're worthy of a zero because, you know, the Velociraptor pack tactics are very, very specific. But I do like what you did here because... 
you basically made Hillary Clinton, and if you're not following, she's a lizard person if you haven't been keeping up with the news. Just like the Bible says, it's basically an intergalactic invasion into this space through people. And I saw that you've also incorporated some new shape-shifting tactics which allow you to turn into a weasel. So basically, you've made it possible to turn in to Ted Cruz from Hillary Clinton. So I think that that's worthy of a zero. This is a classic Cruz-Clinton combo. I mean, I know we see this a lot. <laughs> It's almost kind of cliche at this point, but I feel like it's plus one worthy considering the variety of items I have. Uh, it's an unoptimized ticket. The Clinton Cruz ticket is, is an unoptimized ticket, so I'm going to have to go with a zero. Dang, the Clinton Cruz. All right. So let me take it into range category. I am using Magic Stone, which I think we've addressed here before. And when I use my Magic Stone, I got a plus seven to hit. One D6 plus two. I am arguing a minus one, of course. <laughs> got the magic stone i know you can hit once you can hit twice yeah you get a minus one sweet how about you uh minus one got a dagger plus seven to hit one d4 plus two piercing not gonna elaborate same thing as last one man that is almost a minus one and a half because the dagger has such short range remember two weeks ago when you also argued about the half point and it didn't work it's a minus one eventually we got to start acknowledging half points we've come this far all, all right. right moving into burninating this is where i come in hot and heavy okay Argonaut plus two. I've got tons of spells. I'm a wizard, but notably, I've got Lightning Lure. I've also got a sixth level feature of the Metal Mage, which is called Static. And it's whenever a creature fails a saving throw against one of your spells, they are surrounded by residual static charge for a number of turns equal to your intelligence modifier, which is five in my case. But if their turn ends within five feet of another creature that is charged with a static charge, so if you have two characters charged with a static charge and they end a turn within five feet of each other, they each take 1d6 lightning damage. I love what they did here. Oh, Fail yeah. a saving throw, give them a static charge, do it to another guy, give them a static charge. They're going in for an attack. They're within five feet of each other and boom. Huge static charge, giving him 1d6 lightning damage. I love it. I also have a 14th level feature of the Metal Mage called Magnetic Field. As an action, you can invoke an electrically charged magnetic field in a 20-foot radius around yourself that moves with you, and it lasts for a minute. While in that field, any creatures wearing metal armor, including metal weapons or carrying more than 30 pounds of metal, they treat that area as difficult terrain, and they take 1d6 lightning damage the first time they enter, and then when they start the turn in that field, another 1d6. And then if they are, by chance, charged with the static charge, what I mentioned previously, that gets bumped up to 2d6 lightning damage. Oh, we got combo abilities. Combos, stacking it. I love combos. Nice work, Mika, on that one. That's fun. Also got Magic Missile, Cloud of Daggers, Mind Spike, Shatter. I'm arguing a plus two here. Oh, jeez. Okay. All right, I know what I'm facing on the next category, which is, of course, going to be arduously long. So I am going to push the roll on this one, and then I'm going to nitpick the next one. So roll for your plus two. You've got it. Minsis has a 14 in charisma with a plus two modifier. So to get a plus two here, I need to roll a 15 or better. And I roll a 15 even. Dang it. All right, so you get your plus two. I am arguing a... Plus one, I have Primal Savagery as a cantrip, which of course allows me to increase my raptor powers. You know, I've got some real rap action going on here. And at 14th level, I'm dishing out 3d10 acid damage with this corrosive attack that comes from my raptor claws. I also have Erupting Earth, 
which shakes my opponents to the ground, deals bludgeoning damage, and I have Bones of the Earth. I put this one here, even though I was really tempted to save it for later, but I think we've talked about this before. This is a level 6 spell, which shoots pillars of stone out from the ground. Each one has an AC of 5 and 30 hit points. Now, they have to succeed on a dex save, or they will be taking 6d6 bludgeoning damage as they are smashed against the ceiling by this. I mean, the fact that I create six of these, that is a potential 36d6 damage if I get six different enemies. So if I'm fighting against a whole horde, I think I got some plus one action. Yeah, sure. I, I do like that. Just creating pillars that just smash 66 worth of damage uh, six times. It's like a minefield, you know? Oh my gosh. It, it, real game changer. Real controlling the battlefield, which eases me very nicely into my next category, where I have got Wall of Stone, I've got Maximilian's Earth and Grasp, I've got Earthbind. Are you noticing a trend in the spells that Mika picked out? Because I'm all about that rock. Rock action, you know what I mean? I'm the rock singer. I'm the Rolling Stone. You're Dwayne Johnson. I am Dwayne, oh, I am Dwayne the Raptor Johnson. Yeah, you missed out on a name there. I like Malvo Dawnstar, because that sounds like a professional wrestler. So, Malvo Dawnstar could be the Rock's tag team partner. He's the little guy that comes off the top ropes, flies around your head like Rey Mysterio. But you know what? He is unusually stout because I've got a couple of features from my Rock Singer traits, including stability of the earth, where at sixth level, I am immune to being moved against my will or rendered prone unless I choose to be. And at 14th level, I get Juggernaut, where if I move on my turn, all opponents have disadvantage on opportunity attacks against me. And if I choose to shove as an attack, I impose disadvantage on creatures' rolls to resist. And size does not matter, which means I could shove a giant if I wanted to. Let me stack on top of that, because I also took the Shieldmaster feat, which allows me to shove as a bonus action. So I am shoving giants and doing something else with my turn. This is plus one worthy. <laughs> yeah, it's a plus one for sure. I really like... Uh, I should have argued a plus two. That was nah, good. You're going to see why you don't get a plus two. Because I do like... You could choose not to fall prone, or you could choose to fall prone. Because I can see Velociraptors not getting uh, knocked on their back very often. They seem rather agile creatures. Yeah, but I'm doing it for a different reason. I'm taking a power stance right there, just locking my knees. Oh, you took a couple levels of Monk? Not at all. That's Raptor Finesse. No, oh, you really missed out there. Argonaut plus two here in control. I've got the Luck of Chaos, which is a racial trait of the Chaos Gnome. It allows for one reroll of an enemy attack or one of my own rolls or saving throws. It'll, uh, it's once per day, and I must decide to use it before the DM reveals the result of the roll, and I have to take the result of the reroll regardless of that result. Right on. I also have Polarity Aura a second-level enchantment spell out of the Undermountain supplement, and it allows you to select a creature within range and create a warped magnetic field around them, and it attracts and repels metallic objects. It creates a series of rapidly changing forces which interferes with their movements and actions. They have to make a strength-saving throw, and they suffer disadvantage to attacks, ability checks, and saving throws, as well as suffer a minus two to AC on a failure. At the end of each of its turns, the target may make another saving throw to end the effect. That's extremely powerful. Oh, yeah. for le You said level two? Yeah. I mean, I'm not mad at it, but that is, yeah, that's something, all right. I have another one called Rusting Burst. It's a fourth level transmutation spell out of the same supplement. It allows you to generate a burst of corrosive energy in an area around you that rusts iron and metal objects. All unattended, non-magical item objects crumble to useless dust. 
Any creatures that are possessing such objects must make a deck saving throw or have their metal objects affected. On a failure by four or less, the objects are weakened, losing integrity and becoming brittle. Weapons deal one dice damage less. So, in, if, for example, a longsword would deal out 1d6 instead of 1d8. I love that. Why do we not have more things that affect people's weapons? Agreed. And the armor AC is reduced by two. All other objects suffer reduced function or may fail in use. So that's up to the DM, obviously. If the saving throw is failed by five or more, the objects are destroyed, including armor. Oh, huge. I know. Fourth level spell. I also have Breach Construct, which is a 10th level ability of the Metal Mage. It allows all constructs to have disadvantage to saving throws against your spells. You also ignore the damage resistances of metal constructs, but you do still have to adhere to their immunities. Finally, I have a background feature called Important Discovery. It allows you to make a mundane version of a magic item. The item is functionally identical to the magical version. If the magical item loses charges, so too does the mundane version. But if the item requires attunement, you still have to be able to attune it. Now, the item still qualifies as magic for the purposes of resistance or vulnerabilities. Here's the deal. It's better than a magic item because the only difference is your item functions in an anti-magic area. So, I chose to make Iron Bands of Binding, which is a real... Magic item. Basically, you make a ranged attack roll, and your attack bonus is equal to your dex modifier plus your proficiency bonus, and on a hit, the target is restrained until you make a bonus action to speak the command word again to release it. So, doing so or missing with the attack causes the bands to contract and become a sphere once more. Now, they can use their action to make a DC 20 2-0 strength check to break the iron bands. And on a success, the item is destroyed and the retained creature is freed. But if the check fails, any further attempts made by that creature to automatically fail until 24 hours have elapsed. You Jeez. can keep somebody restrained for a long time. Once those bands are used, they can't be used again until the next dawn. So you have to be pretty discriminant about when you use it. But all of that considered, I have... This magnetic force that is extremely controlling, a couple great spells in there, and then, of course, that wonderful background feature from Brian Holmes' supplement, combined with those iron bands of binding. I think there's a lot of flavor here. Plus two. Wow. Um, okay, so obviously a plus two category there. Not even with my raptor prowess can I dodge around that. Creating a magical item, Brian, excellent work. Feels like kind of an artificer thing, especially which is, you know, kind of on the front of our minds now as we finally got to see the updated version of that. If you guys haven't checked that out, check out Unearth Arcana Artificer Revised. It is really fun read, and it'll probably be showing up in a published work eventually. But sorry, back to your category. I can't argue the plus two. I'd love to do that. I'd love to make you roll, but I got nothing. So you can take it and move into tankiness, which I hope stinks. Yeah, let this tank just roll right on over you. I'm arguing a plus one here. AC of 16 and 112 HP, which is decently beefy for a wizard. Now, AC of 16, you ask, how? Well, let me tell you. Chainmail, because this archetype has a proficiency with metal armor, of course. Ugh. Also have... Magnetic Ward, which is a second level ability of the Metal Mage. As a reaction, you can generate a magnetic ward around yourself that interferes with incoming weapon attacks, deflecting and reducing their velocity. For an entire minute, you can reduce weapon damage from attacks by an amount equal to your intelligence modifier. Again, five in my case, and I would be able to regain the use of that ability after just a short rest. In a pylon situation, I could then bust out a six level transmutation spell out of Undermountain Supplement called Rustfield, which allows you to set up an immobile 20-foot radius sphere of crackling energy centered on a point within range. All non-magical iron, steel, or alloy objects 
within entering area of effect crumble to dust. Any creatures possessing such object make a deck saving throw or have their metal object affected. And again, on a failure of four or less, they become brittle. They lose a, a damage die and the armor AC is reduced by two. But other objects that you fail by five or more, they're destroyed. So you can do that in an entire 20 foot radius. Also, I have the shield spell. Arguing a plus one here. Oof. Oh. Can you imagine that though? You know, maybe your your party's in a different wing and you broke off. You broke the party. You're on a solo adventure just looking to see what's ahead and you get bombarded, you know, by six, seven, eight guys all carrying swords. You bust out that rust field. My spell save DC is an 18. So it's Dude. not like you're going to be able to get against that very easily. So, okay. Hey, look, I think we should go one for one on this category. I am also a very tanky raptor. I am that raptor that gets bit in Jurassic World and thrown around. Blue, Chris Pratt's raptor boy that survives. I have got, of course, the shield master feat, which adds my shield's AC to deck saves. And if I'm to succeed on a deck save and take half damage, I instead take no damage, much like the evasion ability. And I've got absorb elements and stone skin. I've got an AC of 17. I got 126 hit points, and whenever I cast a spell, I add plus one to my AC for a number of rounds equal to the spell level. That is a really nice take on that kind of feature. And I've got advantage on strength checks and saves. I'm not going to bully you on this one. I think you've got some solid features here, and you could probably use them a bit more often than I'm able to use these spells, so... Let's go plus one all around, but why don't you go ahead and bring us into Ally Assist and tell us how you help your party members. Before I do, I want to talk to our friends here. Folks, thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you're enjoying Under Mountain with Mika Watt. We want to talk to you briefly about the evolution of our Patreon, because it is March now, which means it's been a year that we have been live on Patreon, and we've experimented with a variety of different bonus episodes, of which there are now 24 available that you can listen to right now at the $5 and up tier. We've also produced a veritable deluge of PDF content, which includes some community-created content with our patrons, some stuff that we have put out, anything that we've put out on DMs Guild, we make that available to you guys if you become a patron. We have got some games, as we mentioned earlier, spawned in our chat that are happening in a play-by-post kind of style, and character sheets of all the characters we've made in 2019 are available at higher tiers, and we have plans for more merch on the way, which will be available as a perk of donating. Is this list getting mind-boggling to you we hope so because we have tried our best to make patreon appealing to all of the fans of the character lab for just one dollar you can get your feet wet and see if the lab is right for you and that alone would help us greatly we appreciate all of our patrons and you guys know listening that we couldn't do this without you so thank you everyone and now let me bring it back to malvo dawnstar which was named by a patron he has got both of the restorations naturally he has got Healing Word, Healing Spirit. He has got Transport via Plants. Not sure the spell has been on the show. Has it, Dan? No. This is where you basically allow someone to teleport as long as they are touching a plant and exit on a plant. That's kind of fun. That's just a six-level spell, Wizards Official. I love that. I had never actually taken the time to read that. And, of course, it doesn't show up that often in Under Mountain. But you know what is a plant? Moss and mold and mushrooms. Those things are down there somewhere. Finally, I want to bring another spell into this category, Scrying. Now, Scrying basically allows you to spy. No, no, Garen, we know what this one does. It's what you do after you lose an episode of the show. No, 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 no. Not my crying. Not my cry bucket. Oh, 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 sorry, sorry. I, I was going to say that because the Scrying, it just goes on and on. Listen, you can spy on a creature, hear and see what they say. 
if they fail their save or they can voluntarily fail their save and this i see as a way to kind of back up your party member they could go into a situation alone but you cast scrying on them and the rest of your party will know exactly what's happening at all times if someone can see invisibility all they see is a luminescent glowing orb so you're not totally busted right away also i can throw stone skin into this category as well i'm arguing that this is a plus two for me yeah there, there's some really cool abilities here i also do like scrying we featured it on the show but way back when and i really do like the role play scenarios that you could bring into that and i'm actually surprised that you didn't plug this into the smooth operator scenario this week wait so. till you see what i got for that all right all right keep your pants on I'm arguing a plus two as well in the ally assist. I have protection from energy, mage armor. I also have control winds, which can knock enemies prone or even give disadvantage to range spells within a 100-foot cube. I can also potentially disarm a foe who's attacking a friend with rusting grasp, which allows you to reach out and touch a single non-magical ferrous metal object, causing it to corrode instantly to flakes of dust. If the object is larger than a 5-foot cube, only a portion of that is affected. The object or portion of is destroyed. If the object is in the possession of a creature, they make a deck saving throw to avoid the effect. And then the ultimate protection of a friend while you are taking care of business is Resilient Sphere. We've never touched on this spell before, and it is really cool. I actually just learned about this while making the character. So nothing, not even physical objects, energy, or other spell effects can pass through the barrier of the sphere in or out. Though a creature in the sphere can breathe, the sphere is immune to all damage, and a creature or object inside of it cannot be damaged by attacks or effects originating from the outside, nor can a creature inside the sphere damage anything outside of it. So if you've got a guy that you know is with one HP and you need to sit there and take care of business, you have full health, you've got some damaging spells, you put this party member in the resilient sphere and you say, stay right there, don't touch anything, I'll make sure that you don't die. That's amazingly powerful. That is cool. But you are taking him out of the combat also. He does become useless. Yeah, well, with a 1 HP, you don't really want him out there swinging anything. He could be big dog swinging. You don't know that. I'm already a plus 2 here. There's a lot, a lot, I, a lot, a lot. I think in comparison to my list, it's a plus 1. Okay, okay, fair enough. Good boy. All right, what's your ability balance? So let me run through the numbers here. As I mentioned, spell save DC of 18 with a plus 10 on those spell attacks. It's very nice. But very impressive. It is. It's very, very, very nice. Strength of 8. Don't need it. Dex of 14. Con of 14. Intelligence of 20. Wisdom of 10. Charisma of 14. Got a passive perception of 10. Proficiencies in Arcana and Insight. AC of 16 and 112 HP make this a very, 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 very optimized build. I am arguing a plus 2 here. But is it balanced, though? Oh, it's very balanced. Okay. All right, I think we're going to have different approaches to balance on this one uh, because... Why, your raptor can stand on one foot or something? No, 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 no. My, well, my raptor can stand on one dewclaw, really. He's got that dex of 18. Now, he's also got a strength of 10, but he's got a con of 12. He's got an intelligence of 12. He's got a wisdom of 14 and a charisma of 12. So his spell save DC is only a 15, but his saves... Plus six to intelligence, plus seven to wisdom, plus six to dexterity, and advantage on strength saves. He's got the 126 hit points. He has got proficiency in nature, perception, stealth, and survival. Plus, he can wild shape into a Leonino. You know, the cat bird. Oh, so by different approaches, you were just trying to tell me that 
your guy isn't as optimized as mine is, and so that you're going to be taking. But this is called ability balance, and I have advantages, not advantage, but advantages in four different saving throws, which I think brings up my low spell casting modifier. Yeah, but that spell save DC is not balanced. That spell save DC is not balanced. At, At level 14, you need to be a powerhouse. But, I mean, this character is true to his backstory. He lived as a slave for a very long time, and then he had to sneak down into the Undermountain to escape and to kind of find some balance. So he's got that high dex because he's scrappy, and all of his other stats are pretty decent. Actually, arguably, his intelligence is too high considering the life he's lived. But he learned a lot when he was back in the tribe. Good argument. I love it. You supported it by the backstory, you get the plus two. I'll take a plus one. Sweet! Dan loves a good backstory justification. I do. It's what we're all about. All right. So let me go ahead and read our smooth operator slash spitting fire scenario submitted to us by Gabe of Interparty Conflict. Check out Interparty Conflict, guys. Some of you prob- some of you already do, and that's why you're listening to us. It's a wonderful community that we live in. Also, Crit Academy, shout out to our boys. Fine. All right, so here we go. You are at a friend's house, and after using the old chamber pot, you're horrified to learn that it's clogged and won't flush, or whatever chamber pots are supposed to do. How do you downplay the situation and come out with your reputation intact? So here's what Malvo Dawnstar does. He uses the... Takes a big old dino poop. <laughs> Well, dino, yeah, dino poops are are gnarly. I mean, we've seen that. They still find them out there. You know, the paleontologists dig away, and then all of a sudden, dino poop. They are rock hard and dry, okay? Those things are tough to pass. Most of the time when you're just playing with pebbles by the stream, you're picking up old dino poops. I mean, I hope you guys know that. So, it's no wonder that I clogged this chamber pot. But, the feature of my background is called scrounge, which I can find food and water, which doesn't taste good, but it is you know, enough to sustain you, but also I can cobble together tools from the things that I find around. Now you have disadvantage on using them, but they are functional. So in the bathroom, before I come out, I cobble together some plumber's tools to fix the toilet. And if by some chance that doesn't work, I'm just going to cast my level seven spell, Mirage Arcane, which just makes the bathroom look and smell like there's no clogged toilet. And then I'm fine. I can just strut right out of there. What if somebody goes to use the toilet when you use that spell? They're going to find out it doesn't work. Yeah, but they're not going to know that it was me because I left and the room looked fine. So then if the spell wears off, they think they clogged the toilet. Could be smoother. But I think my plumber's tools are pretty smooth. They are. They are. I'm just MacGyvering underneath the sink there. You're arguing a what here? It's a plus one. It's not blowing you out of the water. Okay, let me tell you what does blow it out of the water here, okay? I would use a super cool feature of the shape water cantrip. Change the water's color or opacity to opaque black okay (laughs) another cool feature of shape water allows you to freeze the water i would turn it opaque black and then freeze the water in the toilet bowl so that nobody could see what was inside and it just looks like it's frozen and black in the toilet and then i'd I'd come out of the bathroom and be like i don't know what happened in there but i can't even flush it i walked in and this thing is hard and black it looks like there's coal no 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 so you you think smooth is turning the toilet into a big black poopy ice cube. Only the contents of the bowl, yes. <laughs> that's that's not smooth. Yeah, they'd be like, how did this happen? Because obviously I didn't poo and freeze the toilet. But you were the one who just went in there and the toilet was fine before. I would be like, yeah, I don't know what happened, but I tried to poo and there's 
a black like icicle in the toilet. Okay, I'm really conflicted on this because it is like very clever use of the spell, but this is not. A Did you even know Shapewater could do that? Did you know no, that Shapewater could I do didn't, that? I didn't. Okay, and I'm giving you credit for that, but your argument is kind of stinky. So, so is the poop, but I froze it and it doesn't stink anymore. What do you want? Plus one. <sighs> it's a good right. use of Shapewater. But you know what? After this, we're gonna look up if frozen poop does stink. It doesn't. So How do you know? How do you know that? I once went ice fishing. So You pooped in I'm the ice? ice? <laughs> yeah. Pooped right in it on a fish. <laughs> fish died and nothing smelled. We spent way too much time on this. Alright, go ahead. Take it this <laughs> Are going to plus two here. So, spitting fire scenario reads, someone else has clogged the pot and blamed it on you. You know who did it. How do you destroy them? I like the word destroy on this. Gabe is just setting us up to kill them. Yeah, I like it, but you know what? I interpreted destroy a little bit differently, so I will go into this. I'm going to plus two. I feel strong about this. So, I'd laugh it off and say, <laughs> what can I say? I can control the flow of magnetic energy, but not my bowels. And then I would buy the accuser several drinks and approach him or her and say that I was happy to cover for them. Once those drinks had kicked in and done the desired effect, and he or she had to use the bathroom once more, I would lock them inside the bathroom with an arcane lock, and then I would swiftly cast Private Sanctum on the entire bathroom with the following chosen effect. Sound cannot pass through the barrier at the edge of the warded area, meaning the entire bathroom. I would bypass the arcane lock to allow myself in, and then I would use my magnetic field ability while they were peeing. The charge would be too much to withstand as lightning damage would overwhelm them from every direction, electrifying their pee right back to its source, charring all of their private parts. Oh no. I would then control water once more, just to make sure that the pee splashed them right in the face, got all over their clothes. I would top all of that off by magnifying the smell of urine on the accuser so that he walks out of the party and is especially ashamed of the fact that he undeniably peed all over him or herself. Uh, I would do that with prestidigitation. So I'm going to plus two here. He is not going to be ashamed after you just fried his junk. That is the that is going to be the number one thing on his mind. Oh, no, he's walking out because it only does 1d6 lightning damage. So, I mean, it's, it's like sticking your Peter in an electrical outlet. Like, you will don't, survive. Don't but do that for those of you listening at home. This, this episode has gone way off the rails. Guys, if we have to tell you not to put your private parts in the outlets, you guys have bigger problems than just you shouldn't be playing D&D. So, I'm arguing a plus two here. He's he's walking out of the party. He's reeking of urine, and I charged his Peter. I arguably destroyed his reputation and his ability to reproduce. It's it's good. I think I'm better. Oh man, did you interpret destroy better than that? I flushed the chamber pot again and again and again, purposely overflowing it. But I used my decks to avoid the overflow. I then cast a spell and I exit the bathroom. I leave the room in a panic and find the culprit and tell them that I need their help because something is really going wrong. When we return to the room, they see the spike growth that I cast centered on the chamber pot, and I tell them whatever was in there has started to mutate, and I am afraid. Before I can quote-unquote escape, I cast Maximilian's Earth and Grass that comes out of the spike growth and grabs me, and I'm like, oh no, this poo-poo muck has caught me. And I beg for them to help me. When they do, I cast Blight on them. And I'm like, oh no, now the poo-poo plague has got you. I then break free of the earth hand and run. It's not better than mine. It's good. You can get a plus one. It's not better than mine. You just did a bunch of spells and didn't even mutate it at all. I did. I made it spiky. I made it handy. 
And then yeah. I, I yeah. got them sick. You just basically made up a bunch of stuff about the poo-poo plague. And I gave them that. toxic plasmosis. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Toxoplasmosis has nothing to do with that. It has something to do with poop, doesn't it? Yeah, it's in cat poo, but it doesn't have anything to do with spikes growing on the ground. Oh, by the way, the culprit was a tabaxi, so plus two. Yeah, so you're good with a plus one? Yeah, 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 I'll take my plus one. Dan, we've reached the end of this episode, uh, but before I tell you the score, how do you feel about your character this week? I feel great because this is pretty much a Magneto build. That's pretty much what this is. Sure. I love the provided spells in the supplement as well as the features of the subclass. Um, I also enjoyed the background. I also enjoyed the sub-race, this chaos gnome. Uh, I didn't really get to dive in too much, but it allows you to uh, cast chaos bolt. And if you crit on that chaos bolt, uh, you can actually cast it at second level. And it does not use up a spell slot, which when you're a wizard, you lean heavily on those spell slots. So pretty Drive cool feature. Yeah, you gotta, gotta guard the slots. And you saw I got a low strength. And I got a relatively low dex. I've only got some daggers. So you really got to be smart about what you're using there and, and get any bonuses that you can. So overall, really controlling and fun build, especially with that the magic item that was uh, allowed to be used thanks to uh, the, the background there. So overall, 100% would play this. Could definitely use this outside of uh, Dungeons of the Mad Mage. So what about you, Garen? Okay, so I wouldn't play this character because I did not optimize for... The strength-based druid that Mika has created here. Uh, this is a great class if you wanted to dip into a few levels of barbarian and really take advantage of that strength. You know, Ooh. using that Jarkonaut ability and stuff like that. I love the rock and earth geo theme. This one, the the actual features of it, they're kind of passive abilities. They don't really uh, bring a lot of pizzazz to the table. But the structure of the class is really coherent and it's really nice that way. And I like the, of course, the spells that he chose for it fit in perfectly. So the subclass itself is a lot of fun. It just needs a different build. I think that shows in this week's episode because Daniel brought a very competent wizard to the table with a lot in a lot of categories. My druid, obviously druids perform really well. We ended up 8 to 8, so it was a pretty solid showing from both of us. I think we all can agree that my character was better and that you just had Wild Shape on your side. So, not, wonderful, Not the case. Wonderful I build. only mentioned it twice, and one of them was for the Albino Death Weasel. Thank you, Creature Codex. Thank you, Ted Cruz. I, I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> and thank you, Ted Cruz. We hope you guys go ahead and download Undermountain the Lost Lore right now today. It's only $3.99, and it's already a copper bestseller as of this recording. And while you're on DMs Guild, go ahead and check out Mika's other work, like Storm King's Barrows, which offers tombs and crypts for your game, or the Faithful of Eberron, which offer deity-based subclasses, much like Face of the Forgotten Realms. I think we mention that book every week. Keep it under my pillow, baby. Folks, tune in next week to see how we shoehorn that into a conversation as we highlight Honor and Devotions, Traditions and Legends of the Far East. This is by David Adams and Outlandish Adventure Productions. It is chock full of races and classes, so you know we already love it. No diggity, no doubt. Just remember, guys, when it comes to character creation, it doesn't have to be optimized. It just has to be fun. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Lab, and all episodes for that matter. Yeah, but if you left this episode just wanting more, you can join us on Patreon for tons of bonus content. At our lowest tier, you can join our Discord and participate in fan battles and have access to all PDF content that we post. You can even chat with us throughout the day. For just a little bit more, you get two bonus episodes a month and access to the entire backlog of Fight Clubs, Monster Labs, and special interviews that we've been pumping out since March of 2018. 
Patrons in the next tier get early access to our regular show, sometimes as much as nine days prior to release date. They also get PDFs of the character sheets for the characters that we've built in the 2019 episodes and beyond, and they can submit a smooth operator or spitting fire charisma scenario that we will use in each and every episode. And our top, top tier patrons get merch a couple times a year, have a chance to submit characters, and can sway the fates with automatic crits and fails on our charisma rolls during the show. At any level, we hope to bring you more fun. We love working on this show and the support of our patrons helps continue to make it better. If you're digging the new audio production that began in 2019, just know that it wouldn't be possible without those that already donate. And we have more plans to beef up the lab, and we need your help to do it. But however you support us, we thank you. We hope to have you back next week. Head over to our Facebook and Twitter at DD Character Lab for some previews of what to expect and lots of links to other great community content. Until Wednesday, peace, love, and point by. Which I, I always say aura. It's aura. Aura. I always say that. It, it, I, for whatever reason, I, I can't say it. I don't know why. <laughs>